in English. <laughs> I just spent uh, 18 days or something like that down in Guatemala and Mexico, which was a lot of fun because they're awesome down there. But it's exhausting teaching this stuff through a translator, you know? See? <laughs> Is everybody awake? Who slept well? Mm. Beautiful. Who did not sleep well? Okay, keep your eyes on them because uh, they may be nodding off later. We've got to avoid that. We did some good stuff last night, and I've got my full system rolling today. I've got my little drawing here, which I love to illustrate. <laughs> I know. You're going to be amazed at my stick art. It's like Picasso, but only better. Better than Picasso. So good. Yeah. Um, we're going to pray. And then uh, this morning, we're going to do a financial sozo on us all. How's that? Just Let's just clear out a bunch of stuff, huh? Because we're fixing to go open water. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about? Open water. Yeah, we're getting to get away from this poverty thing and this mammon thing and their influences and their voices. So we'll talk about those systems maybe this afternoon, if I get a chance, how poverty works and mammon works. Not that we're going to wrestle with those pigs, but we want to understand how they work so that we can tune them out and find out also we're talking about how kingdom of heaven, kingdom finances and that economy works. We'll, we'll see all that. So it's nice to know how, how, what the rocky shores look like and what the open water looks like and feels like, and then we can keep navigating, yeah? So uh, I need to begin with my prayer. You remember what that is? Yes, we see the Lord high and lofty, and the train of His robe fills the temple. Father, this is our prayer again today. We're so grateful for You and our salvation, Jesus. Just think about that for a minute, would you? Just think about how good it is to be saved and on your way to heaven and uh, working out heaven on earth right now. God, we're so grateful for that. Thank You for Your Son. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for washing us of bad ideas and mistakes and sins and addictions, God. Thank you, Father, that those things wash off of us and you see us clean like Jesus. Thank you for that, Lord. We just scrub under the fountain of of your salvation. Thank you, God. We thank you for your Holy Spirit We're so grateful for his great wisdom, his leadership, his comfort, his uh, tutelage. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. And thank you, Father, for you who gives us identity. You protect us and you provide for us. We are safe under your wing and we hide there, God. We're grateful. We just stir up gratitude tonight, reminding our souls of who we are dealing with, who we serve. Father, we ask that you'd put those angels, put them back on assignment all around us, above us and below us, facing out to defend us from the enemy and any strategies of the world to distract, to confuse, to discourage, to dishearten, to to mislead. All of those things, we block them out in Jesus' name. 
And Father, in this place, we do our house cleaning. We bind and loose the way you told us, the way Jesus meant when he said, what we bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. What we loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. We do that now. Things that don't belong in heaven, we bind those right now and put them in your mind. What would those be? That would be distraction. That would be flesh. That would be sin. And uh, that would be even exhaustion. That would be uh, disinterest or hopelessness. There is a list there, and you may know them. Get those gathered up. Help me do that. We clean up this room right now. We bind those in Jesus' name and set them outside the doors through the, between the legs of the angels. We just reach through and drop it. And Father, inside we loose thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. God, every virtue that you have made normal in heaven, we say make it normal here. We loose it. Things like revelation, refreshing, inspiration, hope, motivation, enthusiasm, perspective. God, we just, there's more. We just ask for it all. We ask for it all, God. We ask that you'd loose that. And finally, we ask that you would come in, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You'd walk through the door. You would move through this room in your robes and royalty. And that you would come and sit beside us through these aisles and rows. You would just wedge your way in right where, right beside us, Father. Just bump us, just knock us around like a good daddy and his little, little child. Be here with us invite you. We pray this time would be inspired. We ask for your great will to be done. We pray that, Lord, you would give me the words and the mind to say what needs to be said, what you would want said, and Father, that you would uh, plant in their ears and their hearts the things that you care about. Let it grow in us big. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Well, we had church. Let's go home. Fun. Okay. Um, who was not here last night? Where were you guys? You were watching online? Awesome. Well, thanks for coming back or coming. Appreciate having you. So, if you weren't here last night and you weren't watching online, so you don't know what I'm talking about or who I am, raise your hand. There's a few. Okay. Um, last night. I had one hand tied behind my back. I didn't have my, my drawings here. But just in a very short moment, I'll illustrate a whiteboard up here. You guys remember that who were here. That was my whiteboard right here. That's a cycle that people fall into around the subject of money. Money is a spiritual power, and power always exaggerates whatever's in your heart. So what we're going to talk about today is really the heart. I'm going to move down here. We're going to talk about this powerful illustration. Here it is. Brace yourself. You see it? That is a blender. That is a blender without a lid. And what happens when you have a blender without a lid and you add power? Stuff comes out. See, God played a joke on us, and that is that He made our hearts like a blender, but He didn't give us a lid. 
Money is a spiritual power, and it exaggerates whatever's in your heart. You're never going to fake that test. You're not going to resist it. Money is going to exaggerate your heart. Now, some have, have concluded then that money must be evil because we don't want what's in our heart coming out. But that again is a bad decision because God is not shocked that money exaggerates our heart. He designed it to exaggerate our heart. So just to get this theme thinking here for a moment, let's just follow this theme. God wants money to exaggerate your heart. He want, that's where philanthropy comes from, generosity. That's where generational virtues come from, legacies. That's where capital is turned into better lives, a better life for people. That's where creation comes from and inventions. So God wants money, he wants every form of power to exaggerate what is in your heart. The difference is he wants Jesus in your heart and not a bunch of junk in our heart, right? So when God blesses us, it's like him putting his finger on the next button on the blender, right? And stuff's going to come out. (laughs) Okay. We're off to a fast start. Let me finish this illustration up here. This cycle, I said last night, over time, we can go around and around. This is a person who gains and loses, gains and loses. It's a person who has artificially created, well, not artificially, but they are experiencing a limit to how high they can go with money, with power of many forms. And last night I talked about there's lots of kinds of power. Money is power, celebrity, influence, authority, beauty. So when a person gets these things added to their lives, it tends to turn on their blender. That represents the high point in the cycle. If they carry it, they don't rotate back down they create a flat spot. If they don't carry it, they go back around the mountain. So if you spend this, if you look at this over time, this becomes a cycle like this. This is a lifestyle that has an experienced lid. It can't get above a certain amount. This is super common in the United States, in fact, most of the world. We hear and read stories about people that break through their ceilings. I, in, I have the privilege of interviewing and doing coaching with some of these people. I had one guy uh, that broke through his lid. He, he was telling me, he was actually, it was pretty sad. He's a Christian guy, and he, he says, uh, I really need help. This is a financial sozo, and he wasn't in California. He was on Zoom, so we do these, I do these around the world, This guy gets on there, and he says, I said, so why are we meeting? He said, well, I have a lid that I need to break through. I can't get through this lid. I can't seem to make more than about $80,000. And I said, I'm thinking, yeah, man. And then he said, a month. And I went, oh. 
yeah, man. I'm like, yeah, me too. I have that ceiling too. I can't seem to get above 80000 a month. Poor me. So I tried to get him to adopt me, but he wouldn't do it. I thought that would solve everything. Let me help you out, man. You poor baby. 80000 a month. You poor thing. Well, actually, he is a pretty cool guy. His, the reason is he wants to make 100 to 120 a month because he's a church planter. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. He said, I need to break through this 80,000 uh, ceiling, but I don't know how to do it. Now, we hear stories of people that do. They pierce through this ceiling, and like I do too, I hear these guys that have these spectacular climbs, big breakthroughs in stocks and investments. They end up with a home that they bought 40 years ago, and they sell it for 100 times what they bought it for. You know, opportunities come up. Um, they build a company, and somebody comes along and buys it, and they come in with millions out of this thing. And all of a sudden, so something propels them. They, get, they jump a few buttons. Either way, their blender goes off, right? But what I've noticed is a lot of those people, uh, they just have a bigger circle. It's more like this. You know, they have these spectacular climbs and these just magnificent disasters. And uh, they just have the same thing. They just have a higher ceiling, right? Lots of these people that have real big breakthroughs can't carry. They don't carry their wealth. In fact, if you look just statistically, most Americans in their lifetime, earnings from working in America, we earn usually between $1 million to $3 million in our life, in our working life. The average American, the average. I'm not counting those dudes that have those nosebleed breakthroughs that, you know, earn $10 million in one deal. But although I bet you, if, I bet you for most of them, with some exceptions like Warren Buffett and some of these amazing people that we have, we, most of these people have that, but if you look at them over time, they don't carry it either. They, they lose it. So this is a chronic problem in America. You can see this because if our average earnings in a lifetime for Americans is between $1 and $3 million, and then you look at the average net worth of a home in America, the average person in America has you know, credit card debt in somewhere in the order of $25,000 to $30,000 per person. Per person in the United States. And that number fluctuates all the time. You can probably go out and find it now. It's probably somewhere in the high 20s. Every, I think that's per capita. That means even babies. Even, so in other words, they're dividing it up amongst the entire family. <laughs> okay. and, I, and I don't think that includes their home mortgage. Either way, if it's exaggerated, I apologize. There's no need to exaggerate. We have a chronic problem in the United States in the way we think is we rotate we're, we're cycling around this subject of money, and over time, we're not getting anywhere. And so what we have is a culture that really focuses on the climbs and then quietly suffers the decreases, right? And then we climb really hard because we're workers. I mean, I am a worker, man. I grew up on a farm. 
on a ranch, and I just get work. I started working probably as soon as I popped out of my mom. You know, I just started, give me a hoe, you know, a little tiny hoe, and I just started working away. So Americans, we get work. How many people in here work? Yeah, man. We got work figured out. We know how to climb. We know how to get up every morning, and even if we dislike our job, we can muscle through. This is not our problem. Now, this may become a problem for our millennial brethren. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was, that was an under, that was a mean thing too. A tease to my millennial friends, yeah? Millennials, you know what a millennial is? They're the most awesome generation we got going. They're the hope we have. That's right. A lot of people give them grief like I just did. I tease them. I have two millennials, just so you know. I have two sons. They're 20. Eight and 24. But um, a lot of millennials are late starters and they don't value money, they value other things. And so they're like looking for a reason to get out of bed every morning. And so until they get a reason, they just stay in bed. <laughs> okay? I'm like, kind of jealous, you know? Um, why didn't I think of that? Shoot. But what I, what I love about millennials is once they lock their heart onto a cause greater than themselves, this is what they're lacking. When they lock onto some reason to be alive, when they answer the question why they're on the planet, they're ferocious, man. And I'm watching my two sons, and they, they married these beautiful girls. I, we just have these beautiful, I have two beautiful daughter, daughters now. And it's so fun watching how ferocious they are and fearless. I'm not really worried about tomorrow. What I'm worried, meaning that America's future with the millennials doesn't worry me. Those dudes, we just got to get them pointed at Jesus. There is a little span of time right now that we need to seize, and that is to make sure we are attaching a reason behind everything we say and do to something greater than ourselves. Now, we're talking to the choir here because we know uh, our greatest model is Jesus. But bridging that Jesus ideology to our money is what we're going to kind of work on a little bit today, okay? Last night I said that there's a victim and a villain. There's the poverty and mammon. And that the enemy has a strategy to keep the church occupied between these two uh, poles. Does that make sense? Who doesn't know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you don't track. Okay. I used these stanchions last night. One represented the island of poverty and the mindset around lack and victimization. The other one represented mammon and the idea around entitlement and self-promotion and selfish ambition, and greed, of course. And so the church navigating between these two, and we argue between one another, where do we belong? And my point was the entire system is a waste of time. The devil doesn't care whether we're here or here. He just wants us squabbling amongst ourselves. And whatever we do, don't get in the open water. That's the enemy's plan. So I would say, I would call the poverty victim, I would call mammon villain, and I would say that those two characters are in every great piece of literature. Every great thing ever written has three characters, a victim, a villain, and a hero. And the victim has always got an excuse. 
which, you know what, it's super fun being a victim because you always got an excuse for everything. I mean, it's, it's comfortable, man. That's one of the reasons I had such a hard time leaving the, the island of poverty is because I have no excuses anymore, and I kind of like those. Because out here, without excuses, I kind of got responsibility for my, my cycles and everything. When it goes down, I can't blame anybody. I mean, there may be somebody to blame, but I still won't blame them because it, I, that's my job is to turn this around, right? And so poverty is super comfy as a victim. But so I guess I'm saying here that when, with this idea which is inspiring, let's move to the third option. So the first option, poverty. The second option, mammon. But the third option is to navigate through. And this is what the Holy Spirit told me back when I had that vision. Do you remember it began with a vision on a little ship and I was sailing around an island and he said, sail away. And I did. And I sailed upon another island. Why? Because I oriented poverty to my back, and I went the opposite direction. I was trying to create the opposite experience in my life. Does that make sense? Because of that, I fell into the trap, or I was, lead, I was falling into the trap of the enemy sending pairs, in, pairs of evil in opposite twins. And so the opposite of victim and poverty is mammon, and it's sitting there waiting to accept me into its loving entitlement arms, to promote me, to puff me up, to fuel my needs, to feel like I finally get what I deserve. That's the villain talking. That's an empowered victim, okay? As an empowered victim, which is the opposite mindset of a villain mindset, now I want to be a powerful victim, and I begin to take advantage of people. That's where you start rationalizing, stealing things, and hiding things, and factions, and there's, there's lots of little fingerprints around there, and those things are, uh, I, I talk about them in other places. But these two ideas, uh, there is a third option, that is to sail between, sailing out into the, what does that really look like? That's the idea of the hero. And of course, the perfect model hero for us is Jesus. He was perfection. He was exquisite, right? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He, was, I don't, he said, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing or hear the Father saying. He's doing exactly right all the time. And so we look at that as our model, and we find out that money becomes, for us, a servant out here. It no longer is something that lords over us or we use to get even. This is super important because once we navigate into the open waters, uh, we will be unfamiliar out there. Remember how comfortable it was over here? It's not very comfortable out here. So a, a little warning, and I have a hunch that many of you are already out here, but I just, I just want to reiterate, you know, if you're thinking it's going to be comfortable out here, it's not. You know, if you look, let's go with the ocean analogy a little bit. You're in the food chain out here. There are things in the water that can eat you out here. Those are investments that consume you, that take your money away. Oh, that shouldn't happen to me. I'm a Christian. Well, I've, I'm a Christian, and I've been in the ocean. I used to free dive, and uh, I realize, hmm, 
I'm just going to be, you know, saying grace before the shark eats me. She's, you know, and the shark's like, oh, thank you for saying grace. And then, you know, munches you down. You're in the food chain out there. And if you think that uh, you're immune to that because you pray and you have your badge as a Christian, I think that's super naive. That's, that's open water out here. And before you get out there and begin to invest, you need to armor up. You need to go to war. You need Psalm 144. It says that God would train our hands for war and our fingers for battle. That's the real thing out here. This isn't pretend. This isn't Disneyland where the hippopotamus doesn't do anything but open its mouth and spit water at you. No, it actually is a hippopotamus, and it really will bite you, you know. So there's, I'm trying to extinguish that naivete that us Christians fall into and just become slow-moving targets out in the, in the deep water. Let's go a little farther. The deep water has big waves. It has hurricane-force winds. It has seasons of doldrums where there's nothing happening. You know what doldrums are? Those sailing ships would get out in the middle of the ocean, and the winds would stop for weeks, and they would just float. And it's, I mean, people would go crazy out there. It's, it's a real thing. So the open water is real. It's a real threat. It's a thing that you actually have to armor up for and walk into with your eyes open and your sword drawn and go to war. Okay? That's investing. That's wealth building. And uh, that's super fun stuff to talk about, but let's just back off a little bit because we want to really understand how to get into the deep water and sustain when God begins to bless us. We're still working on capacity. We're not ready to work on how to kill and eat. Does that make sense? How to be an open water hunter. And I want us to be, I think it's in the Bible. I think there's a lot wrapped up in that idea when, uh, where the Bible says that I want you to be as shrewd as serpents, but as innocent as doves. I think you can do it. The villain has a hard time separating shrewdness from evil motivations. But Jesus doesn't. Think about it. He's sitting out there, and people are conspiring against him, and he just calls them right out. But he isn't coming after them out of an evil heart. He's being truthful. He's being accurate. He's correcting. He's rebuking. He rebukes Peter. So we don't have to be this soft, limp thing out here, this person that has no backbone, okay? We can be tough, and we need to be tough. But, <clears throat> but let's finish first the conversation around capacity, because capacity is the crisis that is our biggest threat. We have the ability to gain and grow. In other words, up to our artificial lid, we are demonstrating capacity. That's why God can bless us with good ideas, bless us with strength every morning. We get out of bed, we do our work, our jobs. That's that part where we're faithful. And we keep coming back to that lid. That happens over and over and over. This can also be generational, okay? So when we get into the idea of generational curses and 
things like that. That is a subject we can touch on, probably won't have time to, but I'll just say really briefly that I think, yeah, I think there are things as true that there are generational curses. I don't think a, a curse can alight to those under the blood. I don't think it can stick. But I do think we have enough authority to pick it up and carry a curse if we choose. And so I think most generational problems are capacity problems, not curse problems, not devils threatening and, you know, breaking us down. I think a lot of people consider the poverty spirit to be a devil because it gives them a good excuse. I don't think that the poverty spirit, just being real careful with language right now, I could be wrong. But I don't think a poverty spirit is a devil. I think there are devils that exploit a problem the way flies come around smelly, rotten stuff. You know, if you have some bad piece of meat, there's just flies. I don't know where they come from, but there's flies there. And you can, like devils, you can chew those flies all day long, but they just keep coming back. That's their job, right? Until you clean up the bad meat, throw it away and clean it all up, and then the flies go back to wherever flies go. I don't know where they go. They go home to fly town or something. But that's how I see devils, you know. If, because Matthew 10.8 makes it really clear. If poverty spirit was a poverty devil, I think we could cast them out because Matthew 10.8 says we would cast out demons. We'd heal the sick. We'd raise the dead. We would, right? So, but I do think devils are real. I'm just saying I think a poverty spirit is a mindset. Now, we'll get into that structure stuff this afternoon if there's time allowing. But right now, let me finish this. You see, I think this is what's in front of us. If we can figure out... Here, here's this person going around and around. I'll give him one cycle. That's just a person who's, up until today, found themselves bumping a lid if they can learn how to carry instead of fall, when the test of wealth happens, and the test happens at the top, right? Not at the bottom. We covered this last night. The test at the bottom is simply a cry-out test. It's not if, but when. Okay? But the test at the top is the one where we actually demonstrate our capacity. It's where God is seen. Here you go. I'm going to promote you. You've demonstrated capacity up till now. Now I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to give you more. Blender, he pushes the next button. Okay? All the stuff inside. You see, when we have no power, uh, and this is the model for many, many believers, we're content with this yellow lid, with this artificial lid, because it's kind of an element of powerlessness. And powerlessness has an advantage. It kind of makes you look like you're in control of things. You look good on the outside because nothing sloppy is coming out of your blender. You know what I mean? And so when stuff comes out of your blender, the church is like, and I say church generally. I don't know that this one is, but I know that Christians, I'll pick on us, and I think it's broader than just Christians, but I think for Christians, you're the ones I care about. Let's get us building capacity. And so what happens is in the past, when something flies out of our blender, so God has blessed us, we're at the top, the test. You with me? Everything we believe is inside of our blender. That's our heart. God made our heart like a blender without a lid. It's a powerless. Cr- 
Everything we believe is good. This is Sunday morning. We all got our church face on. I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Is that blood coming out your ears? What? No, I'm fine, right? So that whole thing, we, we're, 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 we want to look good. We do. That's not evil. We do. We want to look good. And so we want to demonstrate capacity. We want to be good, you know, witnesses of our Jesus. But when something flies out of our blender, what the church, what Christians have done is, whoa, when that comes out, let's hide that before anybody sees. That's the non, that's the thing that comes out, the, the something that we demonstrate that we don't want pastor to see. You know what I'm talking about? Like, when generosity comes out, we totally want pastor to see that. Look what I did. Didn't I do good? But when something comes out like greed or fear or um, addictions, oh, those ugly things. Yeah, that stuff. When something comes out that we want to hide, what the church has done is made ourselves a lid. In other words, we've tried to hide it, just like Adam and his fig leaf. We've tried to hide what's going on inside of our blender so that pastors and others don't see. And we call that um, you know, stewardship because we don't want to be a bad witness for Jesus, so we just kind of hide our stuff. Or we turn down the power. God promotes us. We're like, whoa, all sorts of stuff's coming out. Let me just pull the plug out and uh, get back over here where I look good. I'm telling you, man, we do this all the time. And so what has happened, let's pretend this podium represents some kind of power. And God has, I'm, this is my life, and I'm navigating my life. And then God has just blessed this. He's just turned on the blender. You with me? He's just added something to my life. A promotion, a spouse, <laughs> children, uh, an inheritance, a lottery, whatever. Something has come along and added to my life. And so many Christians have said, whoa, I, that made me misbehave, right? There's stuff coming out that is not Jesus. So rather than deal with the junk inside the blender, we back away the power. So we have left, we have created a vacuum. Do you see that space right there? We've created a vacuum with our thinking that the world has filled. You know, in nature, when there's a vacuum, something just occupies it. It's nature. Something fills a vacuum naturally. And in economics, it works the same way. When the person who's supposed to have the mind of Christ steps away from power because it's too scary and messy, the world comes along and says, awesome, I'll take that. And that's why the church has, for, for generations, fallen into less and less repute in the world, because they don't, they don't, there was a time when the world would come to the prophets and ask the men who heard from God for wisdom. It's in the Bible, you can find it, Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, the list is long, but what's happened now is, you know, the world, even in the United States, nobody's really asking the church what they should do, because we don't know either. I think that's changing. It's changing, but it's going to change when and as we demonstrate our capacity at this powerful place. 
So every time God promotes you and your blender goes off because it's going to, don't hide the junk. Yeah, man, that's deep water stuff because that's a heavy wind. When you start throwing all sorts of goop out on the walls and pastor's like, uh, what you doing there, brother? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Let me clean that off. Wow. I don't know where that came from. I'll tell you exactly where that came from. That came from your blender, stuff that you believe that's down in your heart. And money just made it come out. It's supposed to do that, except it's supposed to be Jesus. So you can see our goal is to pull out the junk that's in our hearts and put Jesus in there. Okay, so this is what we're after this morning. And um, let me just check my time. Oh, yeah, we're doing great. What we're going to work on here is talking about capacity, faithful and little right here. Because, see, when you're faithful and little... God has a tendency to promote, which is going to bring you to a new test, which if you can demonstrate capacity, God's willing to bless you again. And you begin to see this illustration, which looks a lot like a kingdom with no decrease. That's what a kingdom economy will represent. What will illustrate is a glory-to-glory experience. Does that make sense? Now, it likely won't be as pretty as that because we are not as pretty as Jesus yet. But nonetheless, over time, we should be seeing if we demonstrate capacity, it's not if but when God blesses because he's got a lot more vision for you and I than we do. And he's like, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's get out here. Let's get in the open water. And he's wanting us to carry. So this message is about faithfulness, not about getting the promotion. That's a different message. That's a message I would probably categorize, and I'm not saying it's evil or wrong. I'm just saying getting the blessing is a category of teaching that I don't teach. That would be kind of the prosperity doctrine space, okay? I'm not mad at those guys. I think they've got a lot of truth. It's just not what I teach. I'm teaching, let's figure out how to carry so that whenever God does bless us, what comes out is Jesus, okay? And if God chooses to increase, that's his business. That's his job. Now, I do think he will, and I hope that he will. And I've got a lot of expectation and excitement around where he's taken the De Silva's and this church and wherever, whoever else you're involved in, in your families, your family line. I have great expectation that God's going to bless that and carry that somewhere, because he's got a lot to do. And we are Jesus with skin on now. This is our job. So I, I have no doubt that we're, we're going to experience a climb, but that isn't my assignment. And I convey that because I want us to think about how to build capacity and not flee back to one of the islands where we're familiar when it gets uncomfortable or when something leaps out of us that isn't too pretty. Last night I shared a brief story about me in petitioning prayer before the Lord, which is Latin for complaining, right in the living room. And, and how Donna was on the couch, and I was standing up, and I was, you know, gnashing my teeth. 
And Donna says, you've got to do something about that. Do you remember that? So there was stuff coming out of my blender that wasn't too pretty. But, but we all need this. We need to recognize that when God engineered our blender without a lid, he expects that what will come out won't always be pretty, but that we are not going to settle for keeping it. And, and this, if you, if you read any of my Prosperous Soul books, my little book or my manual with a tree on the front, it's white with a tree on the front. If you read those in the very front in the dedication, it says, for those fierce enough not to settle. And that's what it's talking about, is fierce enough not to settle for the garbage down inside your blender. Let's talk about the blender real quick. Um, the blender is a fun illustration because it gives us a context for our heart and all the stuff that we believe down inside. I told you that God played a joke on us and that he didn't give us a lid, right? Well, he played another joke on us and that is that he, that there's no end to the buttons. <laughs> yeah, so you're going to... <laughs> You are going to have this goal happening. And if you ever find a place where you feel like you've arrived and you've, you've overcome something in your body, in your mind, in your flesh, we're like a toothpaste tube. You ever, you ever notice no matter how little that tube is, you can always press one more little squirt of toothpaste out of that thing. You ever notice that? I mean, you may have to get your foot up there and really step on that thing, but there's always a little more goo inside. We're the same way. And I just believe that until we finally meet our Jesus, there's always going to be a little more goo inside that needs to get squirted out. And he's going to do it with powerful things. And there's no end to the buttons there's no end to where he's taken us. I'm pretty excited about that. But um, I think I want to talk about the lies and how they get in here. So here's, here's all of the lies. They're all laying in here. I like to think of what's inside of our blender as truth and truth. Big T and little t. You with me? Big T and little t. So now I'm going to work on the heart. Because um, I told you that the blender, that the heart of man is like a blender without a lid. So now we need to talk about the heart of man. And so what I'm going to do real quick, time allowing. Yeah, I'm doing good. We go until five, is that right? Straight through? Um, what I want to talk about this for is because we want to build capacity. So we want to understand Capacity is built when we pull out the lies that we believe in our heart, in our blender, and we replace it with truth. Where is our truth? The Bible. Okay, biblical truth is what I'm referring to as big T. It's truth that is true all the time. It's principles that are God-spoken that are always real. There's no relativity to it. It wasn't true in one era, and now it's not true anymore. It's always true. That's, that's big T, okay? 
If we have big T down inside of our blender and God promotes us, we just get bigger and bigger Jesus all over the room. That's what Jesus did, right? Every time he was given more and more power, he just showed off more Jesus, more of himself, more of God, right? So this, this goal of the blender is not to let anything come out, it's to let big T's come out, right? And when we think, those are the fun things to think about. What would happen if God gave you a million dollars? Wow, you know, what would the big T's be? Oh, man. And we begin to dream about what we would do with a million dollars. And then we find out how small a million dollars really is, right? <laughs> After paying some taxes and paying off a mortgage and buying a, you know, maybe a house for your family or something like that, it's pretty much gone. Haven't even tithed yet. Oops, don't tell pastors. So, um, so the idea of big T and little t is really helpful. Now, the heart of man, uh, I think I'm going to go for this. Um, the Bible talks about the spirit of man, the soul of man, and the heart of man. And so I just, as an accountant, <laughs> from an accountant's theological perspective, this is how I see it. And pastor can fix all this later because um, <laughs> that's not my job. My job... <laughs> I'm just making a mess and having fun at it. Um, what I like is to illustrate uh, the heart of man. Well, let's start with body, soul, and spirit. So we're made body, soul, and spirit. Does that make sense? I think that's like God is made three in one somehow. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think made in his image somehow. Maybe that's why. I don't know. That's, who cares? That stuff is super, super confusing. I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure we are body, soul, and spirit. In other words, the soul and the spirit are invisible, but nonetheless, they're separate, and somehow they're inside of us, and the body is the obvious part. So let's get rid of the body and just talk about the soul and the spirit. They're invisible, but we think they're in there. The Bible refers to them, and then it has this comment, the heart. So what I'm going to do is pull on some I dig this stuff. These rabbis, Jewish rabbis. You know, if you had 10 rabbis in a room, you could get 11 opinions. Did you know that? So they argue about everything. Uh, super opinionated. But what they generally all agree on over long, long periods of time is that the heart is the combination soul and spirit. So if I was going to illustrate this really crude I would just say that is the heart of man. Does that make sense? And uh, true or not, I like this because it's kind of useful. Now, I think that the soul, let's put the soul here. And let's put the spirit here. Now, these two are overlapping a little bit. You see right in here, there's a little bit of overlap. And that's because the soul and the spirit are agreeing at some point. So let me back up. I think that the soul is the mind, the will, and the motions. Who's heard that before? I really like that definition. I like to go one step further, further because it helps me to think mind, will, and emotion. Okay, the way I think, the way I desire, the way I feel, that feels like my historian. It's the part of me, my sentient self, that has been studying the world since I was aware. 
since I woke up as a baby. Does that make sense? I started doing things like touching hot fires and stoves and irons and realized, wow, hot hurts, so don't touch hot. I began to learn who is safe and who is helpful and loving and nurturing. I began to uh, avoid people that were mean and scary. I began to attract to people that were safe and encouraging and uh, nurturing. So my soul, my mind, will, and emotion is a historian. It's literally, since I became aware of the world, made a note about everything it knows. And so it has faith in its experience. Does that, that work? So it, it believes, in fact, our soul is, I believe, designed to hang on to what it believes to be true for its life. And that's why it's so hard to get rid of things that we believe that are not biblically true. It's so hard for us to let them go because we've learned them somewhere back in time and they have landed in our soul. It's like a, an idea... Whether it's good or bad yet, we don't know, because when an idea is a seed, we don't know the nature of the seed. That's the wheat and the tares idea. Jesus said, no, don't pull out the tares until they mature, and then you can tell. Do you know how you can tell? The wheat bows, and the tares don't. Isn't that interesting? The wheat gets heavy with grains, and, it, and the heads bow. Isn't that beautiful? But you can't tell until it's mature. So this is a principle that we can understand. When an idea, if you imagine an idea like a cottonwood seed, do you have cottonwoods here? Those big trees that have the little seeds that float? Or a dandelion, you know, you blow and they float around. So I think ideas are floating around all the time, and they work like those little seeds that are floating. And our heart, our soul, is like an open garden, open dirt. And it's there designed to receive ideas and let them take root and grow and bear fruit. But we don't know the nature of fruit until it gets mature. Does that make sense? So when we're little, we collect all sorts of stuff. And here's an example, a true one that happened in me. I was a little boy, about six years old, and I was in my grandmother's kitchen. It's a true story. And I was banging on a pot. I was hollering and shouting and attacking somebody, no doubt, in my mind. Kind of like Hobbes, 